0: Uh, if you have your scripture, your Bible open to Leviticus, um, do a little adjustment here. The plan today, as you can see on the slide, is to cover Leviticus chapter eight and Leviticus chapter nine. So we're going to be covering a lot of textual ground today, two chapters. Originally, I wanted to do chapters 8, 9, and 10. I even told some people, like, yeah, we're doing three chapters this week. Um, but there's so much in here that is for our instruction. There's so much in here that is for Christ's glory that I, I didn't want to push too hard. I didn't want to go too fast. Um, I still feel like we're kind of going still a little little fast through this material. Um, but there's a lot to cover, so I kind of want to just jump right in. But today, I'm going to be giving an expounded... Or an expanded scripture reading. Normally, um, for those of you who are familiar with how we do things here, normally we read through a scripture passage and then I we go back through it and I kind of expound through it. Um, this time mostly because of the length of the passage and because of the material we want to cover, I'm going to be doing an expanded one. So I'm going to be reading through the passage and then kind of commenting to get us oriented uh, so that we're uh, so we can kind of know what's happening in the in the setting. So we're going to be doing an expanded scripture reading today. So read a chunk, make a comment, or comment and then a chunk through uh, chapter 8 first, then chapter 9. And then we'll come back and tie some things together with some reflections. Are you with me on that? And so if you want to uh, write some notes in your handouts, you can. Let me give you kind of a a recap of where we are. Chapters 1 through 7, which is where we've been for the last month and a half, have dealt with uh, the offerings of sacrifice. So if you want a summary of what happened in chapters 1 through 7, these are all of the different offerings of sacrifice that the Lord has said, this is how I am to be approached. God has just brought his people of Israel out of their bondage uh, from Egypt. He's made a covenant with them, and he says, I'm going to be your God. We're going to dwell together. Um, But in order for you to come to me, these are how you need to approach me. So these are the offerings of sacrifice. Chapter 8 deals now with the ordination of the priests. So the the uh, consecrating or the installing of the individuals who are going to serve as intermediaries in it. So uh, this the first one dealt with, this is how I am to be approached. And then now God says, these are who are going to be representing you in bringing your offerings. These, these are the ones who are going to do with the presentations. And then chapter 9 um, I don't do this often, but you see, I, I was able to work in the alliteration, right? The O's. It's just such a, a preacherly thing to do. Three points and, and all alliterating. And so the opening of the worship service, that's basically what chapter 9 is. It's a description of what happens now once those uh, the very first sacrifices are put into place. And so you have the offerings, the ordination, and the opening The manual for sacrifice in one through seven, the installation of the priesthood in chapter eight and the very first worship service in chapter uh, nine. And so uh, let's jump in on chapter eight with the ordination of Aaron as the high priest and his sons, the family of priests. These were uh, these commands. If you want to keep notes here, these commands were originally given in Exodus chapter 28 and 29. Exodus chapter 28 and 29. uh, This is where the commands were given here. It's telling the story about how those commands in those two chapters are fulfilled. And there's a lot of symbolism here. And so let's go through and we'll look at each one of these. And it's in seven parts. First part. Leviticus 8 verses 1 through 4 deals with the assembly or the calling together now of all the people to witness the ordination of this priesthood. Leviticus chapter 8 verses 1 through 4. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all of the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's the first step, is the assembly, the calling together. Second one, second section here, deals with the washing and cleansing of Aaron as the high priest and the priests. Verses 5 through 9. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breast piece on him. And in the breast piece, he put the urim and the thummim. And he set the turban on his head and on the turban in front He set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. So first we saw the pulling together of all of Israel to witness. You saw the calling of Aaron out because God had called Aaron and his sons to be the priest, the high priest and the priests and his family to be the priests. And now you have the washing of them and then the dressing of Aaron with the uh, priestly garments. We won't go into this in detail, but here again is a picture of what those priestly garments looked like. So here's the sash and the ephod, all of the the eight different pieces that were given there for Aaron to wear. It conveyed uh, many things. It conveyed um, the authority and the dignity and the solemnity of this office. As Aaron was walking around with this, you were supposed to kind of take note of this. This wouldn't have been a very common um, wardrobe in the ancient world several thousand years ago. uh, This is very ornate, very elaborate, and a lot of symbolism. The names of the tribes of Israel, half of the tribes were etched on one stone on one shoulder. the other half on the other stone on the other shoulder, each of the 12 jewels that were that are on the breastplate represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So literally, literally in a figurative kind of way, um, the high priest was going into the temple to the very presence of God, carrying Israel with him. That's the idea. Representing Israel. And then up here at the top, and I should have zoomed in a little bit there, uh, but it says, uh, Holy to the Lord. So uh, Holy to the Lord there is written on the golden band on the golden plate there. Holy to the Lord. So here you have the washing and the clothing of Aaron. Now here's part three, the anointing. Verses 10 through 13. Then Moses took the anointing oil, and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all of its utensils in the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waists and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. So you have a little of the the anointing of all of the the place with the oil and the anointing of Aaron and priests. And we'll see this again in a moment. Uh, But part four. Now you have the offerings that were uh, prescribed for Aaron and for um, the priests. Verses 14 through 17. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Now, remember what this represented was kind of transferal or identification. This animal now was to take my place. And so my sins are kind of transferred onto this animal and that the Lord is accepting this animal in my place. Now, this uh, offering is for Aaron and his sons. Verse 15, and he killed it and Moses took the blood and with his finger put it on the horns of the altar around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat. And Moses burned them on the altar, but the bull and its skin and its flesh and it's dung He burned up with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. So this is the sin of uh, the purification offering in verse 14. Uh, through 17. The next section, 5, is dealing with the burnt offering. Verse 18. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram and killed it, and Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces in the fat. He washed the entrails and the legs with water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord. As the Lord commanded Moses. And now you have an, the sixth one is this uh, or, or ordination offering. This is a separate and special offering. Then he, this is verse 22. Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands in the head on of the ram. And he killed it and Moses took some of its blood. And this is an interesting thing I want you to note here. Because this is, this is an offering for Aaron and the ordination for him and, the, and for the priests. And what Moses has to do. He killed it and Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of the fat and on the right thigh. And he put all of these in the hands of Aaron and the hands of uh, his sons and waved them as a wave offering be- before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the bread and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses's portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. So here you have the ram, the offering. Of the ordination. And we saw this interesting uh, little part here about the putting of the blood on the right ear, lobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. And now here's the seventh and final part. And there's kind of three different parts to this one, but this is the seventh part. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil. This is verse 30. He took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments. And also on his sons and his son's garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his son's garments with him. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting and there eat it. And the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside of the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for it will take seven days to ordain you. As has been done today, the Lord has commanded to be done to make atonement for you. At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die, for I have been, so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses, so this last section, you have this special anointing with both the oil and the blood. Anointing being uh, something that was usually done to to leaders over specific areas. Uh, the king in Israel's day, later later than this time, but when Israel had a king, the king was usually identified by the anointing of oil. Some prophets were identified by uh, as their prophet. Uh, role or office by the anointing of oil. And here you have the priest being anointed uh, with oil as well. And so you have kind of the major roles that you see in the Bible, all having to do with this anointing uh, of oil, prophet, priest, and king. And by the way, those are the offices that Christ himself inhabits, all three, prophet, priest, and king. And then so they share a meal, verses 31 and 32. And then at the very end, there's this seven-day waiting period. Uh, Kind of like all of this happens in the first day and then they have to wait around in the tabernacle court. They can't leave for seven days. Um, And I thought, like, what's the significance of this? I, I, I heard something very funny or very interesting this week. Somebody said it's kind of like what what the honeymoon was intended to do. You have two individuals coming together, joining together and married, and then they disappear for a while, usually about a week. And then they come back together and they have this new identity. Um, And I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting way to put it. You know, Aaron and his sons have just been brought out from among all of Israel and now set apart for this very specific task. And it's like, okay, you need to kind of go away. Everybody's seen this anointing process. Now you need to stay there for a week before you really start to do your your role. I don't know. That seems uh, seems interesting uh, to me and helpful to me. So we've gone through and read chapter eight. So that is the reading of God's word. And we say thanks be to God. So again, this historical account is fulfilling the command that God had given in Exodus chapter 28 and 29. And Exodus 29 ends this way. This is the Lord speaking. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons, I will consecrate to serve me as priests. And I will dwell among the people of Israel and I, and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord Their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them, I am the Lord their God. The conclusion to those instructions we see the fulfillment of in Leviticus chapter 8. I once heard, um, so there's a couple things we need to keep in mind. Uh, We need to keep in mind that this whole thing, this priesthood, the offerings, The ordination process, this whole thing, everything about this is designed by God and from God himself. I once heard a a speaker make the claim one time that all of these rituals were really just Israel uh, seeking to try to appease what they thought was an angry God. And that they modeled it after the other nations that were around them. I don't know what the the motive of this speaker was to do, like to kind of say, oh, um, you know, I know that some of those things in the Old Testament are part of our Bible and maybe seem kind of weird. And so maybe the best way to explain it away is that, well, Israel just kind of created these things uh, out of here and they modeled it after the other nations that were around them who had very similar systems of sacrifice. So they were just copying the other ways of worship that everyone else around them did and Jesus came along, this speaker goes on to say, that Jesus came along to really kind of correct their understanding that God wasn't angry and that was all just kind of a big misunderstanding, right? Um, and I've heard this kind of from you know, like liberal Protestant uh, theologians try to explain this kind of thing away um, in, in a way to try to hold on to the Bible but yet kind of deny some of these things. Um, my response to that, uh, is, to that sort of thing is, um, no. No, that's not what's happening here. First of all, notice how each of these seven sections ends. Verse 4, verse 9, 13, 17, 21, 29, 36. They all end with the phrase, as the Lord had commanded, or as the Lord commanded. So to, to, to take these as inventions that Israel had done in history, that they just didn't really come from God, is actually uh, undermining the very word of God from which they claim to kind of be defending. Second, the other nations' practices were not similar to Israel's practices. They were quite a bit different. They were, they were a lot different in a lot of ways. Some of the other religions would m- worship multiple gods, where here, the Lord alone is the one who is to be worshiped. Some of the other religious practices around Israel at that time, uh, some of them, some scholars seem to speculate that were done in the nude. But con- contrast that with the ornate t- type of very special dress and apparel that Aaron is supposed to uh, to wear. Uh, quite a bit different. Some of the other religions would actually harm themselves, cutting themselves so that they would bleed and that they would offer kind of their own shedding of their blood would have been a way to kind of... Uh, appease the gods. Some of you might remember the story of Elijah and his combat or his battle with the prophets of Baal in, uh, in first Kings, the, um, the prophets of, of Baal, there's to kind of set up this contest. Elijah says, okay, you go ahead and offer to your gods. And then I will offer to mine and we'll see who answers. And so all of their prophets get together and they start to call on, uh, Baal to send down the fire to light this, this thing. But nobody, nobody's answering. And so they're saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar. I love what Elijah does, too, in mocking them. He says, hey, cry a little louder. Maybe he can't hear you. He had some, uh, some other things to say that are very interesting. Maybe he's just thinking. Maybe he's like just distracted and he's too busy thinking. Um, and then the Hebrew has kind of a, a, a bad word here. Um, and the the English translation is maybe he's le- relieving himself. It's what a mocking thing to say about somebody else's God. Oh, he's in the bathroom. He's in the restroom. Or maybe he's on a journey. Or maybe he's asleep. And so he's just mocking them. Well, uh, they this incites them to even more. Notice what it says um, in verse... And I like the New English translation of this. So so I'll read this for you. And in accordance with their prescribed rituals, they mutilated themselves with swords and spears until their bodies were covered with blood. See, there's a a little glimpse of what was happening in the other religions at those times. He doesn't say that this is a last measure thing because Baal Baal wasn't listening and they had to resort to these things. He says this is in in accordance with their prescribed rituals. Rituals. Well, Israel's God did not have any of that kind of thing in any way. Instead, it was this transferal to the animal. That animal's blood was shed. Vastly different. And one last example, too, would be uh, some of those other religions around Israel in that day would offer their own children as child sacrifice which was strongly and strictly forbidden, we'll see later in Leviticus. So no, Israel was not copycatting. These revelations were from the Lord himself. And there's a reason why he was really pointing them to see something that in his particular plan of redemption here for Israel in this time was to foreshadow something that was to come much later. So here's a summary. We have Aaron as the high priest had to offer sacrifices for himself. Uh, He had to wash himself, get on his his clothing set his part as holy, offer sacrifices him for himself. Then he was able to offer sacrifices for the people a week later. Um, and uh, and that this is to ready to do his daily sacrifices, his daily offerings. But that's to come after his purification and after a week delay. Now I want you to look at uh, uh, Leviticus chapter nine. We'll go to Leviticus chapter nine. And so, I want you to see what happens here. Uh, So, again, the ordination was chapter 8. We have the opening of worship in chapter 9. On the eighth day, so a whole week has now passed, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord, and say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat. For a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. Does this sound familiar? This is what we've already covered in in chapters one through seven. But this is what I want you to notice in verse four and verse six. For today, the Lord will appear to you. Verse five, and they brought What Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. That the Lord will appear to you and that his glory will come to you. Now, verses seven through twenty one. Uh, retells basically all of the offerings that we looked at so we don't need to go through all of that i want you to skip down to verse 22 and see the result after the people have brought all of these offerings the the burnt offering the grain offering the uh, sin offering the purification offering the fellowship offering the peace offering all of those things verse 22 and Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And then, this, let's say this together. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Very similar to what happens at the end of the book of Exodus after they finished making the tent of meeting. The glory descends. So here's the fulfillment of what uh, he promises in verses four and six above. Now God dwells with them. And then notice this last verse. And fire came out from before the altar and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. This is the first worship service. So how does all of this apply to Jesus? Sure, you know, many of the ways in which we've seen this in some uh, ways already, that this really does point to Jesus and how the writer of Hebrews specifically makes mention of Jesus as the high priest. Does it in chapter four? He does it in chapter seven and chapter eight, nine and ten he makes the connection between Aaron as the high priest over Israel's sacrifice under the old covenant and Jesus as the eternal and permanent high priest. Notice what Hebrews chapter 7 says. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, such a high priest as Jesus, that is. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, And exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The writer of Hebrews is wanting to drive home the the obsolete nature of what was happening in those temple sacrifices. And he does so by pointing out the fullness and completeness of Jesus's perfect, final, once for all time sacrifice of himself. And he says, he specifically is looking at what's described here in chapter 8, of Leviticus, that they had to make offerings and sacrifices first for their own sin before they could even do the sins of the people. And he says, but that was not the case with Jesus because he was without sin. So Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the high priest. And Jesus himself offering his own blood as his sacrifices. He's the fulfillment of all of it. And even the anointing that takes place, it's kind of should should cause our attention or antenna to kind of go up a little bit. The anointing that would take place over Aaron points to uh, Jesus as the Christ. Right. The word Christ or Messiah, it comes from the Hebrew word meaning the, the anointed one. And Jesus is anointed as a prophet. Jesus is anointed as the eternal king. But he's also anointed as the eternal permanent high priest. And even in chapter 9, you see this, the glory of the Lord descending. Uh, New Testament writers are connecting that to Jesus and his glory. John begins his gospel. He goes, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the one and only of the father. So that's how this applies uh, to Jesus. Now I want us to kind of explore how this applies to us, the church, the body of Christ for us as Christians. Remember last week we looked at Ephesians chapter four and we looked at this kind of connection. We looked at Peter who described that Christians are now the priesthood, the, the a, a holy Nation, a royal priesthood. He's saying basically what that priesthood, uh, what Aaron and his family, what they represented for the people of Israel, you Christians represent now kind of to the world. And so he, Ephesians t- chapter four says that God's given leaders like pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. And we saw that all of All of us are ministers. The word minister usually gets applied to like the professionals, right? The paid staff person of a pastor or something. Um, But ministers, servants, um, and I'll even say this word saints is uh, used to describe what, what your role is. Remember, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So I want to focus in on that uh, for a little bit of our time here. Some things that we can draw from. uh, There's things that this priesthood that we saw in chapter 8, there's things that, uh, that Jesus has completely fulfilled. But there's some other, I think, lessons for us as ministers, recognizing that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A couple of lessons. First, that God to, to notice about how God worked with Aaron and that priesthood is that God had sanctified them. God had to sanctify them. The priests themselves were selected not because they in themselves were holy. The priests were selected because God selected them. There was nothing in and of themselves that had actual special merit. They weren't more equipped than other people of Israel in those days. They were just like everybody else. They were not more holy. And yet God selected them. And in selecting them, he had to sanctify them. He needed to now go through this process to say, There's a reason why you're able to do what you're doing, and it's not because of who you are. The reason that you are able to do what you are about to do in ministry on behalf of the other people is because I've called you, and now I'm going to have to set you apart. And I'm going to have to kind of visually picture this for all of the people of Israel. First, we're going to have to publicly wash you, and then we're going to have to publicly dress you. In the very specific clothes that I have selected that sets you apart from anyone else. This is the Lord's doing. God had to sanctify them. They were set apart. Notice um, the most common term. It's not the most common term. uh, Let me put it this way. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Were you... Aware that the most common term in the New Testament for Christians is not the word Christian? How I many knew that? Right? The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. I think it started as kind of a derogatory term, right? By by their opponents or adversaries. That's not the most common term for what we would call a Christian. The most common term is probably brother, which is used for, bro- for believers of both kind. It's like, Kindred you know we're, we're kin, we're brothers, you know brothers some English translations will say brothers and sisters. That's the most common term in used in reference for believers. It's not Christians, it's not disciples, it's not followers, it's brothers. The second most used term is saints. for believing living Christians okay Saints. These it's really a tragedy I think. The the, uh, Catholic Church created a system for canonizing and sainting individuals, calling those persons saints, and those are the only ones that we know are in heaven, they would say. Which completely goes against what the New Testament says about believers. Regularly, again, outside of the term brother, regularly the word uh, most used outside of brother for believers is saints, hagias. If you want to, you're the Greek word for this, H-A-G-I-O-S, Hagias. saints. It's an adjective, but it's used kind of as a noun. And here's what it means. It means separate from common, and, and, uh, condi- uh, separate from common use, uh, dedicated, members of the first Christian communities, Pure or righteous ceremonially or morally could be used both in. in, But for for Christians, it's used like as holy, as set apart. You see this all over. Paul begins his letter uh, uh, often. Excuse me, begins his letters with to all those who are in Rome, loved by God and called to be saints. Right. To the church of God that is at Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. You know, putting those together, sanctified, saints, set apart. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, etc., etc., etc. Hundreds of times, hundreds of times it's used. And that's the exact same word that the Old Testament uses for the very objects and the setting apart that we see in Leviticus. Set apart for God, for God's use, for God's purposes. Set apart for God himself. So, friends, if you're a believer in Christ, you are a saint. You are set apart as holy for service to God. So that's the first thing we need to learn from this is that God sanctified them. The same is true for us Christians. He sanctifies you if you're a believer in him for use in his kingdom for his purposes. Here's the second one. So God sanctified them. And then I want us to notice God's grace. In this too, the grace of God. Who is the uh, high priest that we read about here? What's the name of your pastor? Okay, there you go. So you answered both questions. All right. I'm not the high priest. I'm just you know. There's a little slow and coming there. Um, Aaron was the high priest. Okay. Um, But stop and think. Maybe some of you're laughing because you're getting this already. Not too long ago, Aaron got in a little bit of trouble. Right? Approximately a month, I think, prior to this, what was Aaron doing? Moses is up on the mountain and the Lord goes, Ugh, facepalm. Moses, you need to go down there. What does Aaron do? He leads the entire nation of Israel in worship of a false God, has them bring all their gold. Puts it and actually says fashioning tool to create this golden calf and then causes all of the people to worship it because Moses has just been taken too long, right? A month later, you have the Lord God calling out Aaron and saying, bring Aaron and bring his sons, bring them to me. Just the amazing grace that's pictured in that. Now, Aaron does kind of go through a little bit of a disciplinary process, you see, like in, in, in Exodus, a little bit. you kind got of to get a hint of that in there. But God still uses Aaron. His little, you know, uh, fireside calisthenics around the golden calf did not, did not make him unusable to God in that case. Okay, so notice the grace of God here. Do you feel as a Christian, and let me start, I'll cross it out, we should call, I'll start calling you saints. Do you feel as a saint, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that you can't really do service for God? Friends, I want to say, yes, you can. If God went, if the Lord God went to the extent of sending his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for your sin to suffer and to die alone, as we say, on that tree outside of Jerusalem. If God did that, knowing full well in advance all that you are guilty of, If 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 he knew all of that and still sent Jesus so that you could be cleansed and purified that he could make you his child that he would bring you and make you a part of his kingdom do you really think that he's not able to make you useful for him in that kingdom do you really think that if god has done all of that in view of all that god has done in christ through through christ for you do you really think that you could not be set apart for service to him? Seems kind of absurd now that you think about it. But how often do we feel that way? Um, like we say, you know, I, I'm, I stand amazed. A sinner condemned and unclean. And I think many times we sometimes will feel Yes, I'm forgiven that God has said, okay, You're forgiven. But then I'm still dirty. I'm still unusable, not useful. That's not the picture you get in the New Testament. You're called saints and you're equipped for work as priesthood to all nations. That's what you're called to be if you're a believer in Christ. Now, some of you may not feel like God can use you. I think the story that we've seen in God's use and setting apart of Aaron and his um, and his sons says yes, you yes, he can. He used flawed Peter. He used a murderer, Paul. The list goes on and on. He used Aaron. He used Moses. He used David. Who could use you? He could use you. So some of you feel like God could not use you. Yes, he can. Two, some of you feel like uh, you may not know how God can use you. Well, to this I would say then I would encourage you to explore the ways in which God has equipped you for service. There are various gifts given to, di- to different believers within the church, to different saints in the church, speaking, service, teaching, prophecy, exhortation, generosity, leading, discipleship, acts of mercy, hospitality. There's lots of them described and all of them are necessary for the prof- proper functioning in the church. And so uh, I would encourage you to pray about, study, explore the different ways in which you you would be equipped for service in the church, not the ways in which you might be the ways in which you are. Okay. And if you need help, come see me. I would love to talk with you about it. If you're in your home group, maybe you could talk about what is it that we could do as a home group to, to kind of do this priesthood of all believers out in the world and how can we break up those different roles and who's really good at certain things you know some people are really good at websites or some people are really good at serving and some people are good at planning you know some people are good at cooking some people are good at eating like me so i like to get together with people who like to cook so you know it's the working together of the body so i encourage you to do that to figure out the ways he is he has equipped you because he has because he has So some of you may not feel like God could use you. Some of you may not feel like how God could use you. But here's the last one. Some of you just haven't. uh, Some of you, just in truth, some of you just haven't given yourself to be used. You just haven't given yourself to Jesus for him to use you. Remember back to the priest's consecration. Notice the, the setting apart of Aaron. And in the middle of, of all of this, you saw this really strange thing I want us to, to see. Chapter 8, verses 20, 23. They killed the blood of that ram, and Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. And then he does the same thing with Aaron's sons, puts the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right, their right feet. What is going on there? Lots of people speculate on what this is, and I think the general consensus here, noting the symbolism of what's happening here, this pictures total devotion of the whole body. Right ear, right thumb, right toe. It's like the right extremities. And this kind of pictures the total devotion of the whole body. Head to toe, so to speak, right? We would say the word head to toe, meaning it's the whole person, all of Aaron was given over for service. And this is pictured in the anointing of that blood of the ordination ram, the ordination of the ears. There's also some other things here too. Um, you know, maybe it's, connected to like hearing and obeying or or in, in everything that we do with our hand, our right hand, which is your strong hand in those, those, those days and everywhere we would walk all of us consecrated fully to the Lord and his service. I think that some of that imagery may be behind a little of what Paul is writing when he closes or gets to his more, application section of Romans. You can turn there if you want Romans chapter 12, but you see this full consecration of the whole person, mind, body, soul. I think that's the terms that Jesus used to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, you give of all yourself. And Paul here says, and this comes even down to your physical bodies and all that it carries and all it entails. Paul says, And I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay? Presenting. Who, who does the presenting of sacrifices? It's a P word. Priests, right? And so this is this priesthood language that's happening here. And he's saying, Brothers, believers, by the mercies of God, This is how you're going to apply everything I've written about in Romans uh, from one to chapter 11. Present your bodies, act as the priestly method and present yourself as a living sacrifice that is able to do his work, able to do the Lord God's work in the world. And I love even this language here starts to echo some Leviticus here too, holy and acceptable to God. And a pleasing aroma that's acceptable to God, right? And then he says, which is your spiritual worship? He goes on to say, this, is a, this isn't just a physical body thing. We need to be, not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. He says that there too. So he's tying in a holistic view here. But the idea of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, Everything that you are. We are to give our all head to toe. Ears, hands and feet. Sadly, sometimes for some Christians, the most they may give is their mind or their ear. Sunday morning to hear a message, which is good. But the thrust that's pushing all believers, all saints, is not that we just do it with our ear, but that we do it with our hand and we do it with our feet. We present our whole bodies as living sacrifices to God. So for all of us, ministers of the gospel, and I'm talking all of us, we are consecrated to hear God's word, and to obey it, but we're also set apart to do the the tasks He's assigned us to do, and to walk in His ways wherever that might be. For some of us in this room, being a living sacrifice may be a sacrifice. It may mean uh, a change of jobs. It may mean moving. It may be going out of the country. It may be going on a mission trip to Thailand or something. I would encourage all of you, pray. And ask God how you can can let go of all of yourself to him for his service. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. I'll close with this word. From a commentator I read this week. I thought it was so good. Um, I thought I would just quote it in full. So if you bear with me. This is from uh, Derek Tidball. Whatever our track record in Christian service, we remain sinners in constant need of forgiveness, for which we find ample provision in the atoning sacrifice. Of Christ we need daily to renew our dedication to the Lord and make ourselves wholly available to him our heads must be anointed by his spirit our empty hands filled with his grace for without him we have nothing to offer he alone qualifies us for our calling Our ears must be attuned to His service, our hands ready to do His will, and our feet quick to walk without deviation in His ways. Only so will a measure of consecration be reached that makes us useful to Him, and only so shall we enjoy the blessed intimacy of being both in His presence and truly in His service. We are no more equipped to enter ministry God's ministry than Aaron was. Meaning this is all derived from God. So we seek him for it. Ministry remains a gift of God's mercy and he alone qualifies us to exercise that gift as ministers of the new covenant. Brothers and sisters, in light of what Christ has done for us, fulfilling all the role and all of its completeness of the high priest, in a final and permanent way, in light of that, how do we respond? We respond by offering our, our ears, our hands, and our feet. We respond by following him where he would lead us to be as God's servants in his world. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at this word that you have given to your people so long ago. The setting apart of priests who work in your service. And when we understand the sinfulness of all people, it's amazing that you would call any of us to serve in your kingdom. But God, you choose in your perfect wisdom and in your providence to take sinful rebels against you and use us for service on your behalf. Truly is amazing. God, we thank you for the consecrating work that you provide, that you do. And we thank you, God, for the grace that you show in even exercising this ability to serve. God, we ask that you pour out your spirit into us. Help us understand to a deeper level the grace that you have shown and the consecrating work that you've called us to as saints. God, we offer ourselves to you this morning. Use us as you will. For those of us who think that we don't, that you couldn't use us, continue to pour forth your gospel of Christ into our hearts. For those of us who who are unsure about how, Uh, Show us from your word and from our fellowship with one another as iron sharpens iron. Help us so that all of us would be equipped and mature and ready for service in your kingdom. And for those, God, who just have not given all of their bodies to you, God, we ask that you help all of us to pry back our fingers and to give our lives to you. We offer ourselves to you this morning, Lord, in view of the mercy of Christ and all God's people said, amen and amen.